0: Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome to Ask Your Physio segment. I am your host, Dr. Tannis Kitchener, physical therapist and founder of Rocky Mountain Therapros in Carbondale. I'm excited for our new Ask a Physio monthly segment. Please tune in monthly to hear me and my guests address common questions regarding prehab, rehab, injury prevention, and sports performance. Once I get used to the switchboard and the logistics of the show, I'm looking forward to taking call-in questions. We are lucky today to have a very special guest to kick off the series. Please join me in welcoming TJ David, professional runner, running coach, and one of the founders of Microcosm Coaching. He's going to join me to chat about running performance and injury prevention, as well as how to best build your running team. Before we get started, if you have any specific questions for this segment, for myself or for TJ, please email them to askaphysio, that's P-H-Y s i o nine seven zero at gmail.com if we have time at the end of our segment today i will check in and see if we can help answer any questions on the air tj thanks for joining me i have to say that when we have collaborated with shared clients i have been very impressed with your approach to coaching and i always appreciate your insight and willingness to collaborate to get the athletes back to their sport as safely and efficiently as possible the first question that I have for you today is when should a person seek out a running coach?
2: Yeah, awesome. Such a good question. Um, yeah, we get this one quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say, first off, everyone deserves to have a coach. It's not um, something that is only reserved for elite runners or professional athletes. Uh, there, There's just like a yeah, an amazing um, kind of like network of support out there for people of all ability levels. And I think that um, for anybody who is interested in seeking out their athletic potential, no matter what level, um, if they're interested in building better habits, staying healthy, um, and maybe even like taking some of the guesswork out of uh, training, then yeah, I would, I would recommend um, seeking out a running coach.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Um, Everybody who comes to see me for injuries, that's a runner who doesn't have a coach yet. Um, That's when I tell them, you need need to get a coach. I agree. I think everybody deserves a running coach. Um, For Just for maintaining proper training, also having that accountability and that insight. Because sometimes, even if we know what to do, doing it ourselves, like coming up with that on ourselves, is not always the easiest thing to do.
2: Yeah I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think running is kind of one of those fickle sports that um, if, you, if you go in it alone, you can easily and very quickly end up in um, challenging situations physically. And that's because running inherently has so many impact forces and you can't escape them. Uh, and so when you do have someone who's kind of guiding you along, you can help to mitigate some of those risks and have a more fun and, a, and like a healthier time out there.
1: Who else would you recommend an athlete have on their team?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, like everybody should have a PT. Um, That's my first kind of recommendation for my athletes. Um, Yeah, sure. There are nutritionists. They're also awesome. There are strength coaches and massage therapists and all of these other um, amazing practitioners and I think at the top of that list, because of the fact that running has so many inherent impact forces, um, having somebody on your team who's available, who can um, help you with any little things that might come up, and, and it's pretty inevitable that things will come up in a running life. Um, so having you know a PT on your team is going to help you stay healthier, kind of avoid some of that downtime. Um, yeah, and just generally have a better experience out there.
1: Um, do you have any advice on picking the right running coach?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to what the level of support um you're looking for is. There are it's a really saturated market space out there actually at the moment, and there are so many different coaches. Um it so it really I think for the athletes that that I'm coaching currently, it comes down to wanting more of a hands-on approach. Um And so like that right fit, uh, is, is an athlete for us who wants to have that level of accountability to have check-ins every day. Um, that way they have a lot more guidance. Um, there are other coaching options out there, so it just totally depends on, on what you're, what you're looking for. Um, you know, if you want to get a plan and check in with, with a coach once a month or every few weeks, that's great too. Um, you know it, that's totally up to to each individual. So much of this stuff um, is individualized, and I think like the most important thing that people uh, seek out when when looking for a coach is is a coach who's going to make them an individualized plan that takes into account their background, their athletic history, their injury history, things like that.
1: I think in uh, healthcare, it's in some ways it's easy to find the, the bare minimum um, base for finding a provider, right? They have to have a license in the state that you're, that you're being treated in. They have to have a certain degree of education. Are there any particular certifications or background education that's a at a minimum you'd wanna see any athlete get this from their coach? Or is it a particular experience or really just what they're offering with their expertise and uh, if it's a personality fit for what that person's looking for?
2: I think yes and no. Um, A lot of coaches, especially in trail running, ultra running, um, they do seek out certification. Um, That can be helpful. Uh, But, you know, for me, I I actually look for, and I'm a coached athlete as well, and what I really look for is an athlete who, a a coach who kind of like walks the walk and talks the talk. Um, So that's a coach who is engaged in their own training practice and kind of understands the, the highs and lows of that process. Um, I feel like that's much more important to me than um, whether somebody has like a, a degree in exercise science or a certification that it, they got off the internet.
1: I see, uh, and you and Zoe both training um, and coaching other athletes, that that pays off big dividends. Um, both the understanding from an athlete's perspective and also the athletes get to watch your progress and see the things that you're going through. And it really helps build that rapport, I think, between the two.
2: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Absolutely. I think the one caveat to that is it's really important not to coach from experience. Yes, I'm highly experienced. Um, it's, it's also important to have the, I would call it like the book knowledge, the fundamentals, the understanding of training uh, methodology. As well, if I was to coach every athlete the way that I'm coached, or it wouldn't necessarily work out for every athlete. Um, so it could become a really uh, risky endeavor, I think.
1: Right. There's certainly two ends of the skill set that you need to meld, right? You've got the, the running skill set, and you have the coaching skill set and the background knowledge that blends all of that together. Is there anything that you would recommend in particular if you've got a client um, maybe who's not even in this area? Who needs to seek out a PT? Is there anything in particular you advise them to do to pick out the right provider for them?
2: Yeah, I think that can be really tough, actually. With the athletes that you know that we coach, we see them, um, yeah, go from each. It's kind of a process of experimentation, almost trial and error, where they will seek out a PT. They'll they'll look at their credentials. Oh, great! This is a PT in my area. It's covered by my insurance. And then they'll pick that PT right away, uh, and then f- later figure out, oh, this wasn't a great match for a number of different reasons. And I think it's important for athletes to be really patient as they kind of um, navigate that that space and figure out who is the right match for them. Uh, in in my experience, practitioners that are are kind of like that meet like a, a basic kind of like criteria. Uh, one, it's it's you've got to pick somebody who's a good listener. Um, I think that it's just really, really important to have somebody who can mirror your, your goals back to you, who can, who is able to really understand kind of what you're coming from, whether if your goal is to get back to a healthy place or if your goal is to maybe work on an area of weakness that you've kind of uncovered in, in, in your training. Um, all of that said... The other piece to that is I think that it's really important for runners to be matched up with PTs who understand running, the biomechanics, the impact forces as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that all of that is true. Um, I have the same struggle when I have to refer friends or family to PTs that aren't in my area um, because we're all so very different, um, both in skill set and in personality and approaches. So I always tell people to... Look for somebody who will listen to you and help you work towards your individual goals. Um, someone that you have great trust in. Even the research has shown that the greater rapport that we have with our provider, the better the outcomes are, um, regardless of whether they're actually even using the best clinical practice or not. So that piece is, is super important. Um, also somebody who's willing to collaborate with your whole team. So I know you and I chat often about uh, some of your athletes who are my clients and we work together because that that trust piece is super important and if they're getting different signals from different um, providers, that doesn't really work, work well for them. Um, it also allows you to perform your job better and it allows me to perform my job better. There's always, uh, times where we might say, well, ideally, you know, specifically just to heal this Achilles tendon, maybe I would say we need to rest this much, but maybe that doesn't match their goals or what you're trying to help them do. So we always have to find that balance where we're both working towards the same goal with this athlete. Um, and I know all of the clients really appreciate, you know, having that collaborative effort and I appreciate it too, because it helps me understand what you're all reaching for and, uh, your plan to get there. Um, I think that looking into somebody who's routinely doing continuing education, I've had, uh, my doctorate for 13 years and a lot of things have changed. Um, and even the things that have stayed the same, we've expanded on. So I'm constantly doing education. Um, and I personally put it on my website so people can see, but I know that that can be hard to find. So, um, don't be afraid to ask a provider who you might be interested in what type of education they continue to do.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's super key, right? Uh, especially, I think along along those those same lines, like as exercise science evolves and we know more about training methodology, this the the kind of like the healing side of that with your PT that needs to be evolving too. Um, you know, without that kind of like coexistence, definitely it would be really challenging for for athletes.
1: And I think it's interesting, you know, some PTs specialize specifically in sports specific orthopedics. Um and that can be really, really helpful, but there's unfortunately or that's not true, it's not unfortunate. <laughs> the truth is that we are more than just joints and muscles. We're organs, we're fascia, um, there's neuroscience, and it's helpful to get a provider who will take courses in all of those things. Um because maybe what you're dealing with is a joint or a fascial issue, but maybe it's actually something else. Um, for example, maybe your hip flexor is really tight because it's protecting a kidney whose fascia is very tight to protect it because you've put a lot of miles you know, underneath you, and that kidney takes a lot of impact. Um, maybe there's a pelvic floor issue, and that's why you've got a discrepancy in your stride length because one side of the pelvic floor isn't firing very well. So don't. Uh, I would advise people not to be afraid to see somebody who's dabbling or practicing in other realms like pelvic floor therapy, pain neuroscience, as long as they're also very, very robust in their sports medicine background.
2: Yeah, totally. I think it's so cool that the interconnectedness between, you know, different areas of the body and how that can really affect runners uh, running is more than just moving your legs. Uh, and so, you know, having that diverse skill set. And constantly kind of refining it and, and picking up new tools, I think, can only really be beneficial. Uh, and, and just like you would, you'd want a coach who is kind of involved and engaged in all these things all the time um, or to the best of their ability, yeah, you would want a PT who is doing those same things too.
1: Um, I imagine that you get some common questions regarding strength, conditioning, rehab, and performance that are appropriate for a physical therapist. Can you think of any right now off the top of your head that might be helpful for the audience?
2: One of my favorite ones is, uh, should runners stretch?
1: Hmm, I like it. (laughs) Um, Well, yes, I think that uh, we'd all agree that running as a solid block with very limited mobility would be a little more challenging and less efficient. Uh, A question I get a lot that's very much along that lines is should people stretch before or after exercise? And so my answer is generally um, stretching to open up, to warm up and open up to an available range so that you can strengthen within that range during your workout, whether it's training, running or lifting or sport, specifically for like a training day where you're not gonna have unusual circumstances coming at you is super important because if you don't stretch before you do some of this work, you're not gonna strengthen into your full available range. Um now do you want to go full out and really stretch and open up a full range that you haven't strengthened within and then go run I think that's where people get into a little bit of of a danger zone So doing a warm up of mobility work um to open up into the range of motion that you have so that you can run because a full stride length you know it does require full hip extension full ankle dorsiflexion full great toe extension um, good thoracic spine mobility. So if you're not getting all of those, you're going to have an inefficient stride length. You're going to put some of your muscles at a disadvantage to actually fire. Um, you're going to put a disadvantage to the rib cage and the thoracic spine to get good breathing mechanics, which is super important. So, yeah, I think some stretching even before the workout is really important, um, but it's going to be light stretching. Um, Lower hold time. So the research has shown us that in order to actually gain length in a muscle, you've got to hold, some research says 30 seconds, some says up to 90 seconds. And um, I think that that's worth a discussion with your PT and your coach as to when do I do my longer hold stretches to gain length in any areas where I'm actually lacking length? And when do I just do mobility work to make sure that I'm opening up into my current available range? So I'd say shorter, 30 seconds or less to open up. Um, and your current available range where you have strength. And then if you identify any particular areas that need true lengthening, where you really need to open up that, that length, then you do that, but you do that at different time, not right before your activity.
2: Yeah. That makes a hundred percent sense from, from where I'm sitting over here. I definitely, we see this all the time with our athletes um, who are just not stretching at all or stretching at the wrong times. And I think some stretching is good. Staying within your range of motion is really key before a run because you want some of that muscle tension that really helps with your running economy. Um, but of course, we do see a lot of injuries that stem from you know, lack of range of motion. So I think a general rule to operate on is within your range of motion during your warmup, think of that as like priming for the activity that you're about to do. And then if you're working on specific uh, like lengthening um, and, and really sort of trying to yeah get more range of motion, that's going to be something that you do after training is over.
1: Yeah. I like that you brought up kind of the length tension relationship, having some muscle tension to create efficiency or economy of running. So in order to do that, you have to have a, a decent amount of range of motion, but you want to stay within that range of motion. So, it's almost like pulling back a slingshot. So you're preloading for that strike. Um, and you, you have to have a certain range of motion to pull that slingshot back. If you overstretch it, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. But if you don't have that range of motion to pull it back to a reasonable volume so that when you release, you've built up some tension, then you're not going to be very efficient. So, yeah, that's great. What else? You got any other questions oh that are Oh, my common? gosh. I have so many <laughs> questions.
2: This is just the best. Um, should I ice or heat? Oh.
1: Um, so I, here comes you know some of the things that, how medicine changes. We are starting to, as a medical profession, move away a little bit from the old rice, the rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, however, generally, if you've got an inflammatory condition that, you know, like an ankle sprain, where it's really gonna swell up um, and especially if you've got chronic ankle sprains. So you've done it several times. You know that if your ankle swells up, it's going to stay that way for weeks, and that's a problem. Um, that's when I would use ice. So anything that's inflammatory that you want to knock down the inflammation as quick as possible. Now, there is some concern. People don't want to take ibuprofen or ice because they think it's going to affect the healing cycle. Um, your body are still, still going to have a minimal amount of swelling. Your body still going to send in all the new cells Um, It's going to send in the cells that eat up all the damaged material and cells to lay down new material just fine, even with icing it. What it's going to do is try to keep it out of that chronic inflammatory process so that you can actually move on to the next part of the healing phase. So anything that's an acute injury that might lead to swelling, you want to ice. If it's muscle pain um, or tightness, then it's really your preference. Um, I don't know of any research that says that heat is better than ice in certain circumstances, other than um, if you're one who really relaxes to heat, that's what I would use as long as there's no swelling that you're trying to manage. Um, heat brings in more blood flow um, through vasodilation and cold pumps blood flow out through vasoconstriction. But there is a, um, like a back end effect when you take the ice off, it helps bring in more blood flow then too. So that's why I don't get concerned about impairing the healing process using ice.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And I, I think just maybe a follow up um, on that is if an athlete, I'm kind of thinking like a, a hamstring issue, mm. there's some soreness and it kind of feels like limited range of motion. Is that a moment where you would say, you know what, heating might be might be better. You're going to get some more blood flow. You might be able to kind of work um and get some extra range of motion there if you gently stretch, or it's like, no, we don't want to stretch that. Actually, that can really cause issues. We should ice that, or we should just leave it alone.
1: That's a great question. Hamstring is such a unique area. Um, Generally, a muscle strain, it's safe to heat. And um, what I would do is I would stretch a little bit less than the range of motion you have on the other side, because if it is a pull of the muscle, we don't really want to stretch into it too much, but we want to keep it mobile. So you can always use your other side as a guide to make sure you're not overstretching because you happen to have heat on. Um, The other thing about a hamstring sprain in particular is that your sciatic nerve runs through there. And so if you have caused some micro tears in the area, um, as your body sends a new tissue to set up and heal that area, it can end up with some small adhesions around the sciatic nerve. And so doing nerve... Uh, glides, having somebody show you how to do nerve glides lightly in that area can help decrease your risk for future injury because hamstrings are a super uh, common recurrent injury, and that's part of the problem is that our hamstrings stay tight to protect that sciatic nerve that's been tethered a little bit. Um, all of that to circle back to uh, nerves that are angry don't really like ice. So, um, in that circumstance, I don't think you're going to go wrong if the person says, hey, I really actually prefer ice. It's giving me a numbing effect, which feels really good, so it'll give you that analgesic effect. But the average person's going to respond better to heat in that area. But, yeah, you don't want to overstretch a hamstring tear.
2: Makes perfect sense to me. I hope it does to the audience, too. Uh, and maybe one more follow-up. We'll just keep using this hamstring illustration because I think that's such a common area of – um, of injury for athletes, um, when to strengthen an area, um, that might be strained or injured and when to, yeah, maybe work on other things like mobility first.
1: Those are great questions. Um, so generally there's always exceptions and generally we're going to be strengthening after you have pain-free full pain-free range of motion. Um, and full pain-free motion against gravity with just your body weight. That's when we're going to start throwing on some load. Um, and depending on what, what type of damage you had, if you actually did damage the muscle or the tendon, then maybe we do low loads. In my clinic, I use blood flow restriction training so that we can get really good physiological changes with low loads, which means there's lower stress to the tissue, um, But yeah, generally after they have full pain-free range of motion, uh, full pain-free range of motion against gravity with body weight, there are some exceptions where we know that tendon requires some load for healing. So occasionally um, we will start strengthening a tendonitis area uh, against load even before it's pain-free. But that would be a case-by-case decision with the PT and the coach.
2: Awesome. Great. Great.
1: Um, so we're getting close. Anything any other particular questions that you wanted to hit before we start wrapping up?
2: No, I think if that's yeah, I think that was great.
1: Okay. Um, I really appreciate you coming in. I really see the value in all of the athletes having some access to coaching, and I hope that this inspires some folks to reach out for some coaching. If you have any other further questions and you want to reach out to myself, Tannis Kitchener, you can email askaphysio, that's P H Y S I O, at gmail.com. And TJ, why don't you tell them your email address?
2: Yeah, we're at uh, microcosm coaching at gmail.com. And uh, our website is also microcosm coaching.com.
1: Thank you all and have a lovely evening.
0: Stepped into the hall, saw all my friends were there. The neon sign was flashing, "Welcome, come on in." It feels so good. Let it slide and I wish I had some money with which to buy around I wish to cash my paycheck before I came to town but I reached into my pocket found 320s and a 10.